All right, if there are kids still here, but I guess everybody's gone now, so great. Oh, actually, they're gone. Once again, thank you so much uh, for the uh, people who helped coordinate the children's pageant. I am uh, so grateful for you guys to care for our kids and for our church. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Mike. Um, I am one of the elder elects here. Um, and, you know, I am terrified of public speaking. I don't know if you guys ever have this, but there's times when my body is saying doing one thing, but my mouth is saying other things. And when we were having the elders meeting um, a couple months ago, Darren was sharing how he was hoping to be able to go on vacation um, to the, um, on a cruise with his family during this week. Um, and so he asked if any of us were willing to take, take the, the job. Um, and be- before I knew what I was thinking, my mouth was saying, okay, <laughs> uh, volunteering for this. Um, and last night when I wasn't sleeping, which was most of the night, um, I was saying there to myself, like, why did you do this? <laughs> why did you volunteer for this? Um, and, you know, I think what helped me in the midst of last night was part of the reason I volunteered was for Darren. You know, this, is, this brother, he has cared for us as a church uh, for so long. And he's week after week, you know, preached God's word to us so faithfully. Um, and... You know, I'm so grateful that he's able to get away and have a little bit of a break. So, you know, so thanks for having me. And uh, I pray that today will will not be disastrous. Um, You know, one of the things I love about Darren's preaching um, is uh, the way he does an expository style of preaching. So he just takes a piece of scripture and kind of slowly goes through it and breaks down God's word for us. And it makes God's word come to life for me. It's so relevant. Um, And every single time God uses it to, you know, poke at my heart and make me realize there's, there's areas that are um, wrong and need repentance and grace. And he reminds me of my Savior so well every single time. So Darren, if you're watching this, thank you so much. We love you. We hope you and Christine and the family have a wonderful vacation together. Um, so expository preaching is great. And I think it's the way, really the best way to handle God's word. Um, but this morning, we're not going to be doing it that way. So, <laughs> so <laughs> if you guys know me, I'm not terribly complicated of a person. I'm pretty basic. Um, and I actually prepared this sermon because I thought the kids were going to be with us. So this is kind of a little bit of a basic sermon, but that's okay. You know, I think in the end, the wonderful reality of God's love for us is that um, God's picture of Christ as the incarnation of his love is not terribly complicated. It's, it's pretty um, easy to understand, um, but it's a miracle to believe. So I have a couple um, takeaways that I hope that you guys can leave this with. Um, number one, God says that he loves us uh, throughout the Holy Scripture. Uh, number two, um, God sent Jesus perfectly to show us uh, what his love looks like. And number three, God's love was most clearly shown by Christ giving up his uh, life for us. So let's begin with uh, part um, one. God says he loves us throughout the Bible. So I grew up in a family of first generation of immigrants. My, my parent, my father came from Taiwan when he was 17. My mom came from Cambodia when she was around 16 or so. Um, and as it sometimes happens in Asian households, the, there's more, less of an expression of words like, I love you, um, and more of a demonstration of love. So, for example, y- you know, I 
to be honest, I pretty rarely heard I love you from my parents when I was growing up. I, I didn't doubt that they loved me. And you know, ultimately, as I grew older, I realized my mom was showing her love for me by working nights so she could take care of me during daytime. Um, there were so many times when she, they both sacrificed what they won personally so that they could support my sister and I. Um, and so you know, there's times when, times when we love someone, but we don't necessarily say it. It's just by our actions. Um, there's other times when people say that um, you love someone, but you don't really demonstrate in your actions. You know, I, I'm not proud to admit this, but there's times in my house that we listen to Backstreet Boys. There's, there's, this, there's a song that I wanted that way. And, I'm, as, and there's other songs that they sing, and you just listen to these K-pop bands or these boy bands, and they say these like extravagant declarations of love, when the reality is none of us, none of us could love like that. None of us do. And so there's times when we say we love someone, or, but don't necessarily show it in our actions. Um, so the wonderful thing is that God's love is, is nothing like that. Um, Apostle John writes in 1 John 4:18 that God is love. We're going to talk about it later on, but what does he mean by that? So according to some people, the God of the Old Testament is a God of you know, wrath and vengeance, um, but the God of the New Testament is one of love and grace. But that's not true. Uh, there's no, there aren't two gods. There aren't two characters of God. God is both holy, um, but he also is a God of love, and he shows that throughout Scripture. Even from the very beginning of the Bible, um, when God had made his creation, he said it was good. You know, after he made Adam and Eve, everything was right. Um, and even after, you know, they chose to reject God, um, and in that moment of kind of God's pronouncing his curse over humanity, there was that um, point where he looks back um, and makes the promise that, you know, the, um, my descendant is going to come and crush the head of the snake. Um, and so even from the very beginning, when we were being condemned for our rejection of him, there was that, um, the beginning, the seed, and the promise of God's love that he's going to have for us. Um, later on through the Old Testament, we see um, so many times when, you know, Israel rejected God and were following after um, idols and doing terrible things. Um, and, you know, God took this random backwoods people with the Israelites um, and he chose Abraham and gave him his promise. He loved him. Um, and um, even though his people consistently, you know, time and time again, they failed God. Um, even, you know, during the time of the Babylonian captivity, this is one of the, the verses from Jeremiah. Um, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. That's from Jeremiah 31, 2 to 3. God demonstrates his everlasting love and delight in his people, um, promising through the words of Zephaniah towards the end of the Old Testament, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You know, this is one of those passages in the Bible that when I read it, you know, if you look through the book of Zephaniah, the people are in rebellion. They're um, chasing after other gods. They're uh, having ch child sacrifice, really terrible, terrible things. Um, and yet, at the end of the book, there's this turn where God shows, you know, there's going to be punishment for, for Israel and the country surrounding it, but also this, this reconciliation that he's going to bring. Um, and I, I find it so encouraging um, because there are so many times when I have failed, you know, <laughs> that, you know, for years I, I lived in addiction. Um, you guys, many of you guys know my story. Um, I failed time and time and time again. 
Um, and I think if we're honest, every single one of us is like that. You know, every single one of us has those particular sin struggles that you know, we're like, I can't believe I did this again. Um, how, how will God use me? How will, how will God forgive me? Um, but I think in that, that section of Zephaniah, clearly God's talking to people who are just as messed up as I am and as you guys are. Um, and yet he exalts over them. He quiets them by his love. And it's just such a wonderful reminder of myself. You know, God loves me, and it's not because I deserve it, because these folks didn't deserve it, but he has his perfect plan. Um, so, so God tells us he loves us in his word. Um, so what does God's love look like? That's going to be our second point. Um, God's love was perfectly shown by the incarnation of Jesus Christ, um, the Messiah, the chosen one, who has spent the Old Testament pointing, the Old Testament pointed towards this Messiah's coming. Um, the Almighty Son of God came to earth as this helpless baby. Um, there's a, kind of a cool video clip I wanted to share with you guys. Um, it's about, um, so the guy um, telling the story is one of the um, security officers for Queen Elizabeth. And uh, I thought it was really a cute story. Just kidding, I'll read it for you. <laughs> it sounds so much better with a British accent, but. Um, so, um, so as the story goes, she and one of her lo- loyal attendants named Griffin were walking about in the grounds of Balmore. It's a kind of a country estate. Um, there were two hikers coming towards us, and the queen would always stop and say hello, Griffin said. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped that they hadn't recognized the queen. Um, Griffin said one of the Americans began to, of course it's American, uh, <laughs> one of the Americans began telling the queen where they came from and which sites they had seen in Great Britain. Then he asked the queen where she lived. She said, well, I live in London, but I have a holiday home just on the other side of the hills. Griffin recalled, um, how often have you been coming up, coming up here? When the queen told the Americans she had been coming up to Balmer Castle for over 80 years, the hiker asked if she had ever met Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly. The, the queen replied, referring to Griffin. The hiker then turned to Griffin and asked, oh, you met the queen, what's she like? Um, and he, the Griffin says, because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull her leg, she said, I said, Oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, but she's got a lovely sense of humor. Um, the American then put his shoulder around Griffin, got his camera out, and gave it to the queen, asking if she could snap a picture of him with a royal protection officer. <laughs> anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the queen, and we never let, let on and we waved goodbye, Griffin said. And Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on a wall when she, he shows the photographs to their friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am. I really love that story, um, and I think a lot of people do because it came up in my Google feed. Um, <laughs> my suspicion for why I think it was, um, it resonated with me was because this idea of this kind of regal monarch who was, you know, 90-whatever years old, um, lived through, I think, eight prime ministers, wars, you know, everything. You know, she's one of the most famous people, people in the world, and she was happily reduced to, like, a, being a tourist photographer. And she was, such a, she was so gracious and had so much wit and humor about it. Um, there's something really special about when the kind of high and mighty mingle with regular people like us. Um, and while this is kind of a charming sto- story, the reality of you know, Yahweh, the ruler of the universe, the one who made everything, coming to dwell with us, it's simply mind-blowing. Um, there's so many examples of Jesus' love throughout the New Testament, um, so much that at the end of the book of John, he concludes with a statement. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. But let's take a couple examples. So John had been there 
during the story of the Samaritan woman, where this woman was you know, going to the well in the middle of the day. Um, she was ostracized by her um, peers because she was a woman who was living in sin. Um, and Jesus met her, and he, he, um, as he, as he interacted with her, he didn't tell her what she wanted to hear necessarily, but she told her um, what, he, what she needed to hear about himself. Um, he took this woman who had been rejected and been really, really an outcast from her society and by the Jews, um, and loved her so much that she became a vessel of his love to, um, to her village. Um, the Bible says God used her testimony to bring many Samaritans to faith in Christ. Jesus became the living water that she desperately needed, even though she didn't realize what she was thirsty for. Um, but ultimately, he, um, she came to her friend and said, he told me, he told me everything, I, uh, everything I knew about myself, uh, everything I ever did. Um, and so what an amazing picture. I think, you know, so there's times when I'm trying to share the gospel with someone. And part of the story of the gospel is, you know, telling of your own sin, your own kind of messed upness. Um, and sometimes that can be really hard, you know, because all of us want to be thought relatively well of. Um, but what I love about this uh, Samaritan woman is, you know, she, she was pretty much acknowledging I've done a lot of bad things. You know, this guy told me everything I've ever done, and she had done a lot of bad things. Um, but she was able to use that story to help others to come to faith in Jesus. Um, so I, that's just an aside. Um, brothers and sisters, it's so important for us to be able to share our own brokenness uh, in order that we could point people to the, the hope that we have and the redemption we have in Christ. Um, towards the, um, later on in Jesus' ministry, we hear about how he was talking to the, the crowds on the hills. Um, his um, people had been following him and holding on to his every word. Um, but his, um, Jesus' compassion for them was described in Mark where he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. Um, and he spent time teaching them, them, showing them what God was like. Uh, he met both their spiritual needs um, as well as multiplying the loaves and the fishes to address their physical needs as well. Um, and towards the end of Jesus' life, we see this amazing story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. You know these disciples. Every single time we open up the New Testament, there's more stories about them kind of bumbling over themselves or walking out pride or arguing about who's the greatest or who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he's in glory. Um, so these were disciples who were, they've been, they've been with him for three years, and most of the times we see them portrayed in, in not the most positive light. And yet, um, the Son of Man took off his outer garment and knelt before them, humbly washing their filthy feet, crusted with all sorts of nasty uh, from the outside um, because he loved them. This is from John 13. Um, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Paul describes in Philippians 2, when Christ taking on the nature of a servant, um, sacrificed himself for um, the good of his people. Um, I think it's hard for us to even comprehend Jesus, the Lord of heaven, who was both adored by angels and feared by demons, um, the very one who spoke the universe into being, bending down half naked to serve the dirty feet of the very ones who th that night he knew were going to abandon him, um, whether by falling asleep um, while he prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane, or later on as a gang of soldiers and Jewish leaders came to arrest him. 
The love of God is pictured by the high and mighty Christ, stooping down to serve those who are infinitely below him. Another way that we can see the, the love of God is the love between the God, God the Father and Christ the Son. Why do we love our kids? You know, it's funny, just, just we were having a meeting last night and just was saying how, what a trial being a parent was. And, and as she was saying it, I was amening. Because <laughs> there, there were just so many days when it's not fun. Um, why do we love our kids? Honestly, sometimes they can be annoying. Um, not my kids, but, you know, <laughs> kids generally. <laughs> um, the reason why we love our kids is they're our kids, our flesh and blood. Um, or even better, you know, if kids that have been adopted into our families. I remember nine years ago when Sophie and I were waiting for Ellie to be born. Is there a picture of that? No. All right. Well, there's this kind of <laughs> wrinkled picture of her um, coming out, uh, you know, in her little warming table. Uh, I, remember, I remember before she was born, we had been waiting to have a child for a long time, uh, Sophie and I. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't really care. I'm not that crazy about kids generally. Um, like, yeah, I'm just not crazy about kids. Um, and like, what kind of dad am I going to be? You know, what if I meet this kid and I'm, and I'm just going to be negligent or um, just not a, not a good dad? Um, but the moment I met her, I remember thinking like, oh Lord, you know, this is my kid, you know, and I would, I would die for this kid, you know? Um, and I think most of us who are parents would do the same thing, you know? There's something precious and... Um, incredibly intimate about the relationship that we have with our children. Um, I was going to talk to the kids. Your, your, ki kids, your parents probably feel the same way about you. There's no kids here. <laughs> kids, if you were here, <laughs> your parents love you. Um, and you know what? God the Father and Jesus, they were and are closer um, than anyone you can imagine. There's some scriptures pointing to that reality. Jesus says in Matthew, um, oh, sorry, God the Father says about Jesus in Matthew, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased um, in John 10, um, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then in John 5, uh, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Um, Jesus showed the world what the love of the Father was like, even going so far as saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So clearly Jesus was showing us the Father's heart and love for the broken, the weak, for the poor, and the needy. Um, Jesus was revealing to us God's heart for those who are considered outsiders. But the greatest example, and this is my third point, we're almost home, guys. Uh, the greatest example of God's the love of God was in such that he was willing to sacrifice his only son in order to rescue us. Um, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and actually, as I was pondering, um, I'm going to grab my, my phone, actually. Sorry. This morning, as I was reflecting on my night of no sleep, um, God... Um, randomly, um, while I was going through read scripture, the psalm um, was from Psalm 32. And as I read it, I was like, this is so relevant and so good. So I'm going to read it to you guys. Um, it said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as the, by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but his steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous man, and shout for joy, all you are upright in heart. Can you imagine loving someone so much that seemed like they were a part of you? You know, I have patients who die, you know, with some regularity, I have a kind of an older patient population. And every single time there's a married um, couple and one of them dies, uh, it doesn't matter if they spend the entire time with me as their pa patients, like fighting and arguing every single time in front of me. Um, and there's times I'm just sitting there like, wow, I'd be embarrassed to argue like this in front of my, <laughs> in front of my doctor. Um, <laughs> but they do. Um, and then one of them dies. And then the other one is just like a shell, a shell of who they were. Um, I think, you know, we're all kind of like the people that we love. They're like so close to us. Um, and if you can even imagine, imagine how that is for, you know, for uh, humans, think about how that might have been for God the Father and Christ the Son. Um, I don't think we can even fully comprehend the closeness of their relationship. Um, but in the end, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing that even though they were so close, and even though they were really one together, God would love us so much that he would send Jesus to die for us. Um, so I think the eventual breaking of that relationship between God the Father and the Son at the cross, this is why it's so poignant in John 15 um, when Jesus is talking to his disciples. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus obeyed all of his father's commandments and abides completely in his father. He was the perfect manifestation of God's love to us and God's holiness. Um, and that's just incredible, but listen to what he commands next. He says, yeah, how can we show that we love him? by doing what he commands, abiding the love of the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. So what does he command us to do? Love one another as God loved us. So let's take a show of hands. How many of us love Jesus? All right. <laughs> Here's another question. How many of us do it perfectly? How many of us love our, our neighbors as ourselves? Lo let's say love the, our family members as ourselves. Anyone? All right. Me too. I, I struggle. I struggle. You none of us do. You know, we're supposed to, we who love Jesus are supposed to, you know, keep his commandments and love one another. But we fail. You know, kids, um, you know, they might argue and fight with their siblings about silly toys that don't matter. As a dad, I, I struggle, you know, to not lose my patience when I'm trying to correct kids. Or there's times when Sophia gives me feedback um, and you know, my hair is kind of bristle at the back of my head because I'm so angry um, that how could she think my perfect plans are, are, are wrong? <laughs> um, or maybe as a wife, uh, maybe your husband has hurt you and there's been times when, you know, it's really deep-seated um, sins that have been done to you and you struggle to forgive. You know, every single one of us, you know, we're sinners. None of us um, has 
and the ability to reach um, God on our own. Um, we need a savior, which is why um, Jesus' statement of what the ultimate example of God's love is, that someone lay down his life for his friends is so meaningful. Jesus knew that by sharing this, um, that the road his father was leading him down was one that he'd be doing just that for his, his uh, friends and his disciples. Um, just in a matter of days, you know, after he said this, he was going to be whipped, you know, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be whipped, spit upon. Um, yeah, I think about um, Queen Elizabeth, and you know there's times when they, they show the, the huge crown that she would wear, you know, diamonds, I think it's worth like a billion dollars, something like that. And I was just reflecting on this last night. Like, she wore this incredible crown of, of jewels, but our Lord and Savior wore a crown of thorns, you know? I mean, it's, and how much higher is Jesus than Queen Elizabeth? Um, but what an amazing reality that he would do this for us. Um, God the Father gave up his only son for you and me. Jesus, our Savior, sacrificed everything for us. The Holy Spirit's power um, raised Christ from the dead. The crucifixion and the empty tomb show us the full extent of God's love for us. So, in closing, um, John, Ellie read uh, that chapter, of, um, John 3.16, to us. Um, he mentions this uh, remarkable conversation between Jesus and the Jewish teacher Nicodemus in chapter 3, where he describes the love of John, the love of God in, th- in verse 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, um, but have eternal life. You know, if you're here today, and you know, it's you know, primarily our church members, which I'm grateful for, but there may be some among us who have not made that, that um, step of faith to, um, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, my hope, my encouragement for us this morning, you know, or maybe just freshly, I think there's times when we, even those who are Christian, they are, we try to find our value um, in God's eyes, depending on what our performance is, like whether or not we've been good people, whether or not we've been to church recently, whether we did our devos. Ultimately, you know, the love of God for us does not depend on our performance. You know, if we were, to, if we were depending on our performance to, to please the holy God, we'd be really in trouble because none of us is perfect. Um, my prayer for us, um, if you do, haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, if, if he is not your Lord, um, then today could be the day of salvation. Um, you know, it's never too late until it is too late. Um, but I think that... I guess the most more important thing for you know those who us who, who have trusted Christ, you know, if you've repented from your sins, if you have trusted Christ as Lord, if you're following after Him, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. God loves you with a deep, unchanging love. Nothing can stop His love for you. He will provide you all that you need. I think there's times when I, I wonder, as when John was kind of writing down um, this this conversation with Nicodemus, if you really understood um, what Jesus meant by what he was saying, this is kind of earlier on in the course of Jesus' ministry. Um, in reality, he probably didn't realize that Jesus was the Son of God, and he didn't realize that the, ultimately the, the cost of this, of this salvation would be Jesus dying on the cross for him. Um, but I'm pretty sure that as he was watching his sinless friend um, and teacher dying on the cross for his sins, 
um, he might have realized with more clarity what the costly love of God uh, might have been looked like for Jesus and for us. Um, regularly, you know, throughout um, his, his gospel, John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, I wonder if he was thinking back upon the cross and considering what Jesus had done for him when he, um, when he writes that statement. Um, and I think my hope for us is um, that we would, you know, as we kind of reflect on Christmas time, that every single time we think about um, Christmas, we'd be thinking about the cross, realizing that this is where God won, um, won our salvation, won our redemption. Um, and, you know, as we celebrate and as we look towards, you know, this amazing day, um, you know, my prayer is let us know, let us kind of sit in the love of God that he has for us um, and perhaps be a reflection of that too. Um, a dying world. So let's pray. Oh Lord, I'm so grateful uh, for who you are, um, for what you've done, oh Lord. Um, We're so thankful that we can know of your love um, throughout scripture. We can see um, the ways that you have shown your love historically to Israel um, and um, to us, where you've declared your promises, where you've shown your faithfulness. Um, and um, ultimately manifested that love most perfectly in the person of Jesus, your son, who came to die for our sins um, and was raised up to life so that we might live in him. Um, Oh, Lord, we are so grateful um, that you love us the way you do. We pray, oh, Lord, that you would give us strength um, to to live for you and to let every day, um, not just during Christmas time, um, be a meditation um, on the, the love that you have shown us, Lord God. Um, and that we would be a reflection of your grace to this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.